Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. Believe it or not, our society's current views about sex and marriage are actually very recent developments. For the last 1,500 years, through the influence of Christianity, the view most people in the West have held is that sex should only happen within the context of one man and one woman in a lifelong marriage. However, since the 1960s, our attitude towards sex has undergone a revolution. As people began to make freedom of expression the most important thing, sex was no longer viewed as something that should be kept special for marriage. And with the contraceptive pill, sex was disconnected from the purpose of having children within marriage. So, what are the consequences of the sexual revolution? Well, firstly, it's had a devastating effect on marriages. Whereas marriage was viewed as an unconditional covenant before God, it has now become viewed as a contract that can be easily broken. At the turn of the century, about 4% of people got divorced. Now in Australia, every third marriage ends in divorce. In regards to people's attitude towards sex, we're living in a sexualized culture where the youth are being sexualized from an extremely young age. Depending on which figures you use, the percentage of girls under the age of 16 who experienced sex before marriage is about, was about 5% in the early 1950s. By 1989, 59% of all American high schoolers said that they engaged in premarital sex. Now that pornography is only a click away, the statistics of those who watch pornography shows that children and young people are exposed to pornography at increasingly early ages. Pornography has become a global sex handbook for many boys, with an estimated 70% of boys in Australia having seen pornography by the age of 12 and 100% by the age of 15. Girls are also exposed to pornographic images. Joan Sowers found that 53.5% of Australian girls aged 12 and under have seen pornography, with the figure rising to 97% by the age of 16. All of this has resulted in great damage to families and young people. In Unhappily Ever After, Bettina Arndt, one of Australia's best-known sexologists, wrote, in the past few years, the evidence has become overwhelming that divorce is having detrimental effects on the lives of many Australian children. In regards to pornography, it promotes the view that women are no more than sexual objects. And for girls, the research has shown that over the past 10 years, the objectification of women and the sexualization of girls contribute to a number of the most common mental health problems suffered by girls, such as eating disorders, self-harm, de depression, anxiety, and low self-esteem. A study was done on pornography, and in it, it saw that physical aggression occurred in 88% of scenes across all acts of aggression, both physical and verbal, 94% were directed toward women, and it's had devastating effects within marriages. Michael Flood summarizes the research by saying, in a US study, one quarter of women saw their partner's pornography use as a kind of affair. One third felt that it had negative effects on their sexual lives and relationships. And over one third agreed that they felt less attractive and desirable and more of a sexual object. 
but society keeps promoting the sexual revolution. Why? Because they keep saying that individual happiness is the most important thing. And the key to individual happiness is to be free to express whatever we want with whoever we want. But are we really happiest and most fulfilled when we do this? Is a fish free when it jumps outside of its bowl? Well, a fish was created to live in water. If we remove it from its water, its freedom to move and live is not enhanced but destroyed. Likewise, we find happiness, fulfillment and life when we live in the way that we were created to live. In many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the ones that were created for us so that we might enjoy a deeper joy and fulfillment. Instead of insisting on freedom, should we be seeking to discover the purpose God has for us with sex? Sex and marriage are two of God's greatest gifts. So of course the devil is going to go after sex and marriage to twist and pervert them. So we should expect confusion, misunderstanding, perversion and pain. But this was not God's original intention. Marriage is a good gift for the raising of children who love God. In Genesis 2, 18, God says of women, I will make him a helper fit for him. Men and women complement and enhance each other in a way that two women and two men can never do. And it's only in this context that they can fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it in Genesis 1. And the only natural means by which babies come into the world is through one woman and one man. When God gives Moses the command, you shall not commit adultery, he is providing the framework for safeguarding the gift of marriage and for promoting the flourishing of the family. He is providing the framework to do that in a way that best blesses us. For this reason, in Malachi 2, 13-15, we read, the reason God hates divorce so much is because his purpose for marriage is godly children. Now, I know that because of medical difficulties or old age, this aim is sometimes not able to be achieved, but a primary purpose for marriage is the raising of children who love the Lord. The seventh commandment says, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery means to cheat on your husband or wife. It often leads to parents wandering away from God, failing to read the Bible with their kids, and failing to model the goodness of the faithfulness of God to their kids. Now, you might not be married, but that doesn't mean you can't commit adultery. In Matthew 5, 27 to 30, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The phrase with lustful intent means to desire, to long for. Noticing that someone of the opposite sex is pretty or handsome is not a sin. The sin is when this noticing becomes a desire, a coveting, a lingering, a lust. Even if you don't have sex, we can still be guilty of sexual sin by means of our thoughts, our fantasies, our reading, our clicking, or our affections. For this reason, pornography is always adultery. But why do we commit adultery? Well, our life is a reflection of our heart. The Bible says that the overflow of the heart comes all things, good and bad. The word heart appears over 900 times in the Bible. In Proverbs 4.23, we read, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. In other words, there is a cause and effect relationship between the condition of the human heart and the living of the human life. A spring is an ever-flowing source, and so your heart can be a continual source of either fresh water or sewage. And so as we reflect on our own hearts, we need to stop blaming others for our decisions. 
your temptation will be to go back to Genesis 3 and say, well, God, it's your fault, or it's my friend's fault, or the devil made me do it. The proverb says that our heart is the problem. In the New Testament, Jesus criticizes his Pharisaic opponent's obsession with outward ritual purity and reminds them that from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sexuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. How you act, how you speak, how you love, your hatred, your adultery, and your lust. Everything comes out of your heart. Have you ever glanced at yourself in water and seen your reflection? Your life, likewise, is a reflection of your heart. And anytime we're talking about changing our behavior, we have to talk about the heart. We spend a lot of time saying things like, I don't want to look at pornography anymore. I don't want to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage anymore. And Proverbs would say, all of that is an overflow of your heart. Why do you watch pornography? It's not because your friend showed it to you or because you're stressed or you're tired. It's because your heart loves pornography. And I want you to hear this. We commit adultery because our hearts love sin more than God. We always direct our hearts, our thoughts, and our actions towards what we love. Why do you think that in Australia, 100% of boys have seen pornography by the age of 15? And 97% of girls by the age of 16? The ease of access to pornography gives opportunity for the heart to do what it loves, to lust and to sin. But Deuteronomy 6.5 says that we are to love the Lord your God with all our heart and with our soul and with our strength. Here is the verse to give to someone who says they're a good person, that they'll get into heaven when they die. But they can't because our hearts love sin. No one loves God perfectly. So we all deserve God's judgment. Our hearts are sick. We need new hearts that can love God. And that's exactly what God promises through Jesus in Ezekiel 11:19, I will give them an undivided heart and I'll put a new spirit in them and I'll remove from them their heart of stone and I'll give them a heart of flesh. Imagine if we laid you up right now and we cut you open and we took out your heart and we put it on a rock and we put a rock in. God says, that's how you are born into this world. There's no love for God. You can't make a rock. Love God. It's a rock. So God says, here's the deal. I'm the great doctor. I'll lay you down on my altar of grace. I'll cut you open. I'll take out your, the rock. And I'll put in a heart of flesh. And if you're a Christian, you love God because God gave you a new heart. God gives us a, a love for him. And this is the power we have over sin, to love God more than we love sin. Imagine you have a plate of the finest food and a bucket of slop and garbage in church. Then you release the pig into the church. Where is it going to go? Straight for the slop, without shame. Then suppose you transform that pig into a man. What's going to happen? He'll take his head out immediately, vomit all of the sloth out, and be ashamed. And that is similar to what our conversion is. We used to love sin, but we trust in Jesus. We're now ashamed of it. Only once the wellspring of the heart has been turned from sewage to clean water, from love of sin to love of God, will we begin to see real lasting change from the problem of pornography to sexual sins. All the rules in this world can't mask the can only mask the problem. They can never fix it. The gospel is God's answer to the problem of pornography. It's God's answer to every problem of the human heart. Christ died to give you a new heart, to give you a desire to love God more than you love sin. Only this changes our behavior. Well, having looked at what God's word says, the problem and the solution is, I want to address three groups of people. 
who are most likely here at Spa. Firstly, those tempted by sexual sin. Maybe you've been dabbling, lingering, toying around with sexual sin. Maybe you're feeling intrigued and enticed by the possibilities. Well, Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without the, his clothes being burned? Don't play near fire. Run away or you'll be burnt. Stronger people than you have tried to resist and failed. Stronger people than you are now in hell for not taking sin seriously. Put in hedges to protect your heart like covenant eyes and keep accountable with your friends about your struggle and your victories. Listen to God's word. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 to 13 says, God always provides a way out. Generally, I find it comes through God's spirit reminding me of, of a promise or a warning from God's word. So we need to seek to memorize scripture so we can remember it in those times. And as you seek to satisfy yourself with God, Psalm 73, verse 25 to 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Only a deep love for God as your portion will grant your heart the strength to overcome sin. This brings me to my second group, those who are willfully wandering away into sexual sin. I'm talking about those who show up for an hour on Sunday at Spark thinking they can fool God and fool us in the process. Maybe you still know how to put on all the appearance of being a very lovely Christian. Maybe you know that you've been doing the wrong thing, but you just don't care anymore. Sin can only give you fleeting pleasure for one moment in time, then that moment is gone. But the excruciating pain and agony and loneliness of hell is eternal. The flame is never quenched. So keep eternity in mind when you're being tempted by a moment's worth of pleasure and sin. Here's what God has to say. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your heart to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Finally, I'll have a word for the brokenhearted, those who hate what you've done and you're ashamed. Well, God is in the business of forgiveness. The only unforgivable sin is an unrepentant and is unrepentance and unbelief. As far as east is from west, Psalm 103 verse 12 says, is as far as God has removed our past sin from us in Jesus. Jesus is in heaven and his blood still speaks on your behalf, covering your sin and granting you new mercies each morning, flesh freshly providing a fountain to cleanse you from all sin. 1 John, verse 8 to 9, says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Rejoice in who we are now in Jesus, and with this new identity, seek to live out the free life of joy in God's will. And use your past sin as a warning as an, and as a testimony to others of the forgiveness that God offers broken sinners. Here is the story of David. I'll share it as if I'm David to help you understand how David responded. My name is King David, the son of Jesse, 
chosen of the Lord to be kings, the king of Israel. One evening I saw a beautiful woman washing. I already had wives and children, but I saw the beautiful Bathsheba and I wanted her, though she was married to Uriah the Hittite. I had sex with her, then I deceived her husband. When he proved to be a better man than I was, I sent him up to be killed as he was loyally fighting my battle. I am a moral monster. In the weeks and months that followed, outwardly everything appeared normal. I married Bathsheba, she was expecting a baby, and the kingdom was prospering. I went to meetings, I gave speeches, I sat on my throne giving judgments, keeping as busy as a king can be, doing the utmost to put the whole debacle out of my mind. Then one day, the prophet Nathan came to me. He told me the story of two men in a city. One was filthy rich and the other dirt poor. And the rich man robbed the poor man of the only thing he had, one little new lamb who grew up with him and his children. When I heard this, I was furious. I could think of nothing but thinking, but finding that wicked man and sentencing him to death. Gladly, I could have killed him with my own sword because he had done such a thing and had no pity. That's when Nathan's gaze pierced my soul. He arrested me with his eyes and I knew I was caught before he spoke a word. To this day, I shudder when his next words echo in my mind. You are the man. Honestly, with a broken and believing heart, I confess I have sinned against the Lord. And that's all it took. And the floodgates of God's mercy opened wide. Mercy was great. And grace that was free, pardon was multiplied to me. Nathan said to me, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. I was so thankful I wrote Psalm 51 in which I said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified by your words and blameless in your judgment. Create in me a pure, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. It's been many years now since my sin with Bathsheba. I know I'm forgiven. I believe with all my heart God won't hold my sins against me in the judgment. But the still sting, sin stings. Years have passed, all of them riddled with pain. I'm still suffering the consequences of my sin. I'd do anything if I could go back to that point when lust first started rising in my heart and repent then. If only I could deny my lust the power of reigning in my heart, but I can't. I let the cancer grow, and God has been doing surgery on my soul ever since. Know this, my friends, forgiveness, forgiven sins still may sting, but God's grace is greater still. Well, that's David's story. None of us could say we wouldn't fall into the same temptation. David is the only person in the Bible who God says is a man after his own heart, and yet he still sinned in such a horrible way. So don't overestimate your willpower. Don't go it alone. Don't leave God out and don't wallow in guilt. But remember God's forgiveness in Jesus and ask him to help you to love God more than your sin. And thanks be to God, we can be healed, forgiven, strengthened and restored as it was with David. So it can be with us.